This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo and welcome to video number 79 and audio season four, episode 17 of Music is Not a Genre. Thank you for tuning in. And don't forget that you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash music is not a genre where you will also get exclusive video and audio. And you can also support it at anchor.fm slash music is not a genre. That's where you get the audio only version, uh, which is distributed on Spotify, Apple, Google, and all of those good places. And as always, you can see most of what I do at my hub, youtube.com slash Nick DiMatteo. Hello, how are you? been a couple of weeks. Uh, been some momentous things happening. Uh, for those of you watching a video, take a look at the new ring. I got married. And uh, you want to know more about that? You know, check me out on Patreon. I'll tell you all about it. And uh, this week, uh, so I guess as part of that, and also because this artist was part of the playlist mix that we made for the wedding, this is kind of an important artist for me. Those of you watching already know who it is. Uh, audio, let me clue you in. The title of this week's podcast is Lenny Kravitz Turning Tribute into Truth. Now, this is one of those cases where you watch an artist come up from the very beginning and see the development and all of that. And because this particular artist is also around my age, a little older, but close enough, there's a kinship there, not just in terms of experience and, and kind of cohort and the peer group, but also in maybe influences that this artist had. And that's the main thrust of what this episode is about, is not just about Lenny Kravitz, as you know, I weave in other you know ideas music-wise, it's also about the idea of what makes a good tribute. And by tribute, I mean, in this case, not, uh, you know, Dread Zeppelin or some, some band that's doing uh, another band's music, but, a, but an original artist that pulls heavily from older styles of music. Now, I did uh, a podcast on retro 
several months ago. Uh, look it up. It's called Retro Was So Five Years Ago. And I kind of talked about the different ways you can approach retro music and how uh, some of it is strictly for nostalgia and others is kind of taking old ideas and putting them in a new context. And that's sort of what I'm getting at here, which is, is any music that you consider to you know have a flavor of older styles strictly tribute, strictly, oh, I love this kind of music, I'm going to mimic it, and or does it also somehow move the conversation forward? A phrase I like to say a lot and incorporate those old styles in a way that recontextualizes them and kind of brings something new and fresh to the music world in general. Uh, perfect. And, and listen, a lot of that is in the ear of the beholder. I can't make that judgment for you. Uh, critics believe they can and some do it well and some don't. Uh, but the same, but that's the same thing to me. Is what you hear is largely based on what you've already heard. So you may judge this music based on the fact that you have never before. Well, let's say you know Lenny Kravitz comes out and you're a 15 year old, and or 10, you know whatever, and you never really heard the music that he pulled from. You would think, oh my God, this is amazing. It's new and fresh. If you grew up and were maybe 30 you might be a little resentful almost and say, whoa, this, this young dude is coming up and kind of stealing from the masters. In my case, it was kind of a dead on. I knew enough about the past, but also wasn't so entrenched in it that I thought that this was some kind of stealing. But I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. Let me throw out some artist names to kind of illustrate how difficult it can be to make this uh, to make this judgment to make the judgment of whether or not they an artist is doing a tribute in a way that's just merely an echo they, they you know the, they, that's all they can do or are they doing something new with it Pharrell Elephant Six Bruno Mars Dua Lipa Laura Umvula I believe that's how it's pronounced. Greta Van Fleet. So in each of these cases, if you know these artists, something was sparked in you. Either, uh, talking about this idea of older music, either, oh, wow, I love how they use certain sounds from that era, whatever era it is, and put it into their context and create something brand new, or, wow, what a retread. They're rehashing old stuff and they're not doing anything with it. Uh, if, you know, since this is my podcast and, you know, I want some conversation here, let me give you a little bit. So Pharrell, from way back, I've used this example before, has, has used a lot of 80s influence sounds and production values uh, and, and early 90s. And I think for the most part, he's put them in a new context and done them well, you know. Uh, Elephant Six. I did a whole podcast on Elephant Six. If you don't know them, go check out the podcast on Elephant Six and various other uh, you know sources, including uh, Patrick Tate Fleming's upcoming documentary on the Elephant Six band, Olivia Tremor Control, and how they mined kind of the '60s psychedelic with the Beatles and the Zombies and the Beach Boys and you know uh, harmonies and weirdness and pop and chamber pop kind of stuff and put it all together 
together to create new things. And since there are so many bands associated with the Elephant Six Collective, you can kind of take your pick as to how you judge one or the other. But overall, I would say that they really kind of made something new out of all of that. Bruno Mars, uh, we had uh, 24K Magic, I guess, was the song that was in our wedding playlist. And I had heard it before, but hadn't heard it to the degree that I did for this, a preparation for that, making that playlist. And I was struck by how many 80s sounds were in there, yet at the same time, it's just a new, fresh song. And that's something that he does a lot with the 80s, with the 70s, certainly with his new project with um, Anderson Pack, 70s kind of soul, but does it in a way that is that I think brings something new to it. Laura Mvula is somebody I discovered recently. She's been around for a while, British. Her most recent album... The minute I put it on, I was like, this almost could have just been made in the 80s. And yet it's so vibrant and so her that it's it's something new. Greta Van Fleet is someone I have name-checked before. I can't remember. I believe, have they put two albums out now or is it three? I think it's two. And what I had said before was, okay, so they sound incredibly like Led Zeppelin. That's great. You kind of like to harken back to that. Let's see what they do next. This next album comes out, and they sound incredibly like Led Zeppelin. And I haven't heard a lot that has been recontextualized or newness that's brought into that. Now, again, that's my opinion. There are people who love that band and people who maybe can't stand what Pharrell does or something like that. Uh, and I skipped one, a Dua Lipa. Uh, a lot of a lot of you know '80s in there but much slicker, you know, like much more, honestly, she kind of pulls from 80s, 90s, and O's, and really from all the last four decades, and puts it all together to to create the sound that she's created, which I think is why it works so well, because it is an amalgamation of all that. So chime in, you know, when you're done, or pause it right now and put some comments down there and tell me where I got this right or wrong in your opinion, because I'd really love to know where your line is as far as when is a tribute just a retreading echo kind of playing on people's nostalgia, or when when is it that artist loves that music and wants to uh, bring it out for, you know, new fans to hear in their own way. And of course, a perfect example of all of this is this week's artist, featured artist, Lenny Kravitz, uh, or Romeo Blue, if you know his history. Uh, And uh, his whole shtick from the beginning has been mining 60s and 70s music. And from the beginning, critics were divided. Some thought that it was a fresh take on old music, uh, weaving in funk and soul, kind of, you know, more of a modern approach and, uh, you know, combining that with the, the 60s kind of pop and harmonies and, and little psychedelic rock and 70s harder rock. And others thought that he relied too heavily on his influences and didn't do enough with them. And the funny thing is uh, that that kind of critical debate has stuck with him throughout it's been, you know, 30 years, I guess. 30? Oh, no, I'm sorry. More than 30. 34, or whatever. 33. And 
to this day, critics will say the same thing. And I think that it is, again, it's in the ear of the beholder. You know, when I first, when I first heard him, I am fairly sure it was because I was a huge fan of David Letterman and watched it religiously every night. This was before he moved to CBS, his late night show. And Lenny Kravitz came on promoting his first album, which for you video people, you can see up here, I have on cassette, Lenny Kravitz, Let Love Rule, uh, bought it when it came out. And it was because of that Letterman show he did. I can't remember the, both songs he did, but I know he did the title track there, Let Love Rule. And my brain exploded because he basically took, I'll say for now, three uh, kinds of music that were hugely important to me at the time and put them all together. What I heard when I heard him, which I don't think is unusual, uh, was he is an extension of what Prince was doing or had been doing earlier in that decade. Uh, he had heavy Beatles there, especially for that title track, Let Love Rule, but even with Mr. Cab Driver, another favorite from mine, was kind of, uh, again, um, back to, let's say, Controversy 1999 era mixed with Taxman, you know? And then he added to that kind of the, the like straight on hard rock and funk, some of which Prince had done, uh, some of which the Beatles had done in their own way, but mostly was from like 1970s era music. And at the time, this was when Prince had had his big hits and then gone through that middle period where he was doing more psychedelic stuff and come out of it to do, you know, even after Sign of the Times, we're talking Love Sexy, and beyond that, uh, you know, a Graffiti Bridge and everything. So he was kind of getting away from the, the psychedelic elements that he had had and the harder rock elements he had had and doing what he does, which is morphing and going into something else. But I still wanted more of that. And I also wanted kind of a, that raw feel that you really didn't get that often from, you know, from Prince. And that's not a, a, you know, a criticism. It's just that's, you know, he, he's an auteur who really, you know, just pinpoints every single thing he wants on a recording. And, you know, Lenny, I guess, was a kind of a raw version of that. And he kind of brought out a certain kind of rock at a time when hard rock itself was at this kind of post hair metal pre grunge crossroads. And there wasn't a lot going on in the mainstream anyway, that was all that, uh, interesting, uh, you know, the, the 80 stuff was being played out. Grunge hadn't really hit the big time. There were certainly indie bands at the time, like the Pixies that were doing, you know, raw stuff. But as far as, bang into the mainstream somebody like Lenny Kravitz I think made a big difference and glad he did because it was not easy for him and there's a there's kind of a two part to this one is that let me start with this part because I think it's the more important part which is it wasn't easy for him to get to where he was from the beginning because 
he is not only of mixed race, but his music was mixed. And that second one, I think, is even more important to music industry people because they didn't know what to do with him. Some people thought his music sounded too white. Some people thought it sounded too black, which, again, shows the limitation of genres and the small minds of a lot of the people who work in the music industry who don't understand that if there's an artist that exists that can mix these things, then there are, like, multiply that by a million or more, and there are fans out there who will enjoy this mix too. They just assume that everyone is, is of one color, in however, you know, whether that's a metaphor or in reality. And yet he persisted and, and you know, changed his name back from Romeo Blue to Lenny Kravitz before he released this first album and proved them all wrong. At the same time, in some ways, he didn't have it hard because if you know anything about him, you know that he is the son of industry people. Uh, his mom was on the Jeffersons and his dad was, a, I think, a producer director. He's the, you know, he's related to Al Roker. He's, he has, you know, godmothers and, and fathers and people in his family, uh, Cecily Tyson, I believe, and, and others who were all in the industry. And this is actually going to be a future podcast uh, topic of mine, which is, and I certainly don't have a title yet, you would not believe how many famous or once not famous and now famous actors and musicians came from families who were already in the business, who had already had success in the business. You know, I mean, like, like Chris Pine, you don't know, you know, most people wouldn't know. I didn't know for a while that his dad was already a very, you know, fairly well-known actor at his time. And so what that to me does is it kind of, A, shatters the illusion that this is just a up from the bootstraps, unknown, coming from nowhere, and also gives that person a chance. It doesn't mean it gives them success. There have been plenty of children of famous people who gave it their best shot and couldn't make it work for one reason or another. And again, no judgment there. But they had the shot. They had the shot. They had what many of us don't, you know, struggle to get or never really get, which is the opportunity to be in that spotlight and say, hey, well, okay, what can you do? You know, and at the time, I certainly didn't know any of that. But historically now, you know, and you kind of, I think that that, uh, you know, is part of the story. And I'm going to weave that out a little bit more in a future episode. But that aside, we have this man here who took all of his experiences and created what to me at the time was something new. It was new because of how it mixed everything that it mixed together. And that's something that he's continued throughout his career. I'm going to go through just a quick, uh, you know, discography, and we can kind of see how consistent he's been in many ways, uh, whether you consider that an asset or, uh, you know, detriment. Let Love Rules is first. Okay, Mama said... A couple years later, that was 89. Mama said is 91. I don't know why I don't have that CD. I looked for it, couldn't find it. I either lent it to somebody or maybe never bought it. But I know the album and I especially know the songs partly because of the mega hit, It Ain't Over Till It's Over, which was also on our playlist for the wedding. 
is a song that I come back to all the time because of just it's just such this perfect soul pop song. And I think what might have happened was I either didn't buy the album and then I ended up hearing all this and kind of getting a renewed interest in Lenny Kravitz or again I bought it and lent it to somebody. I have no idea. Another great song and that is Always on the Run. It's one of those songs I believe was used and I want to say it was Always on the Run because of the line Mama said in this awesome remix of LL Cool J's song Mama Said Knock You Out where they mashed up that with Lenny Kravitz. Look it up. It's called the Z Trip mix or z-trip remix it's look just look it up another one that was on the wedding playlist and it's kind of pretty awesome how those two go together and it was done almost 30 years after those songs came out and it sounds fresh as as fresh as ever and then you have what i would say is was probably my first album of his where i thought oh man i'm gonna stick with this guy and that's are you gonna go my way right here up on my mantle, cracked in place where Mama said should be. And, of course, there, the title track, my God, right? I mean, that was, that to me was where he took that kind of hard rock and, and funk and said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some kind of mega anthem with it and really blow everybody out of the water. I like the song Believe because it has that kind of, um, you know, slow-paced, psychedelic, trippy thing, which doesn't always work. There are times where the slow-paced ballad rock anthem songs are too slow. There's not enough going on in there. But in this case, it was just the right mix. And Heaven Help, which was, again, kind of a soul the soul rock song, awesome. Then he gets, and it's just like an every two-year thing up to this point, 89, 91, 93. And then you have Circus right here, 95, which I thought, I'll be honest, was sort of a retread of the previous album. And even though it had some good stuff on it, uh, I, I felt as though, oh man, I hope that the next time around he throws something else in here because you can mine the same material over and over and make a whole career out of it. But I'm always of a mind that a vibrant artist who has control of their own career should always be looking for something else to throw in there. And I often wonder about certain artists because you'll follow an artist for decades. And in many, you know, and I'm talking about artists like Lenny Kravitz, like you two, who are always striving to put out new material. And I did a podcast on this before too. And sometimes you'll you'll listen and wonder, have they checked in with new music at any point in the last, you know, 10, 20 years? I'm not saying you have to. A lot of artists don't care and that's fine for them. But my personal taste and opinion is if you want to be a modern contemporary artist and, and reach people, that you should be in touch with what's going on in some way. And so I often wonder, well, is there a I feel like Lenny's a special case where he kind of floats in and out of that, where he is in and out of touch with what's going on because he's following his muse and he's got, you know, his life and he's often on an island or, you know, somewhere kind of uh, doing his thing and then often reengages with the world and, and does something else. I think Circus was an example where that could have been it, you know, like, like, okay, rock and roll is dead. Great song, you know, 
other good stuff there. Quality album in general, but not didn't bring much new to the table. But then you have right over there on the left, five. Is that the left? Well, yeah, I guess if you're looking, it's the left. Five, and that came out in 98. It took an extra year to release it. And I, this was at a time where he was not really, he had been out of the spotlight because uh, Circus wasn't as mega of a hit as Are You Gonna Go My Way or Mama Said or even Let Love Rule. And, you know, he brought in things that, I think somebody who is only mining the 60s and 70s wouldn't normally bring in. He brought in a lot of electronica, which I really appreciated because it added a new element, a new dimension to what he was doing. Uh, songs like Super Soul Fighter, I Belong to You, Black Velveteen, very techno. And uh, then, of course, Fly Away, which to me is as classic a song of his as are you gonna go my way as it ain't over till it's over like just you know any from his first couple of albums three albums that's as good of a song and to and to me this i think was actually my favorite album of his overall like you know cover to cover beginning to end five is probably the album that i would go back to more than the other albums uh, although i think his whole catalog i should i should probably listen through the whole thing again and then you have the uh american woman cover and here's the thing about that i'm a guess who fan that's who did the song originally the guess who I even did a cover of one of their songs, New Mother Nature, which is half of, you know, No Sugar Tonight, whatever. And it's because I love that song and I thought, oh, I can bring something new to it. I feel like um, it was almost like you listen to the original American Woman, there's something kind of gritty about it. And Lenny Kravitz, of all people, took the grit out of it. And listen, it was a huge hit, so who am I to say? But I felt as though it was a little too mannered in comparison to the original and also didn't really bring anything super new to the conversation and new interpretation of that original. So, you know, eh, I guess. Then you have this one right here in the middle, Lenny, 2001, was actually a really solid album. Uh, critics did not fall head over heels for five. I think in retrospect, they rank it as one of the better ones, but they did seem to like Lenny, you know, and Battlefield of Love and If I Could Fall in Love. The hits weren't as, as big, but I thought it was a very solid album. And probably the last album from his, I will say, classic era, because after that, then you have this one here, Baptism. And... I have these notes here. I always like to show you my notes in case you want to take a screenshot and just read my, you know, truncated shite. I, my only note for baptism is eh. And there's a couple reasons for that. One is, again, I think very often uh, artists in general who are explorers do kind of an every other thing, which doesn't mean that one album's better than another. It can mean that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. What I think it means is that they'll do one for them, one for you, you know, and that kind of thing. And I think this baptism was a kind of a one for him thing. 
and I don't feel like it necessarily brought a whole lot of new out there. But listen, anybody who's a huge fan of this album, tell me what I'm missing here. Because you know I love this artist. I love Lenny Kravitz and would like to be able to appreciate it more, you know. Now, what happened then, so I guess my tastes shifted or my interests shifted. And as you can see here, if you're watching the video, I stopped buying his CDs. I'm not even sure I remember listening to his next album from 08. It is Time for a Love Revolution. I called it the lost album for me. Uh, I'm pretty sure I just never heard it until recently. It's damn good. I like Love Revolution. I like Love, Love, Love. It's... uh, it's an album that maybe, you know, critics didn't like, I guess, or, or, there, or I guess there were some critics who thought, oh, this is a comeback, and others, again, mixed, throughout his whole career, mixed. I, I thought that it was kind of a nice renewal of spirit for him, having listened to it now. Then you have uh, 2011, Black and White America. I did hear that. I heard it on streaming. This is when I started to kind of retune in. And first of all, horns everywhere. And I love horns. You know, I'm a huge fan of Chicago and New Orleans music and other things. So, you know, I'm so happy. And I know he had horns on older, you know, albums, but this was huge presence. And I think this would even, to me, be more of a revival than the album before in energy. And in, you know, uh, even though I liked it as time for a love revolution, it just seemed like he was punching hard on black and white America. Come on, get it. Rockstar city life. And then stand, which is kind of pure pop rock. Super love. I love the sound of super love. Just such a great song. I think that this was maybe cover to cover in retrospect, my second favorite album of his. It's like five for me, but it's even more of a synthesis of everything he's done. So five was almost like, let me shoot off here and do more electronic stuff. Uh, and, but throw in like a, you know, a fly away and an American woman. Whereas he took all of those influences and threw them all together on black and white America. And then you have to me, what to me is an, an album that has interested me more recently that I really kind of want to listen to through and through from 2014 called Strut. I mean, he, it was almost as though he said, okay, I've done everything I can do from the 60s and 70s. I'm going to dive headlong into the 80s. The first thing I thought of when I started listening to this was, wow, 1980s. Uh, not a unique thing. Uh, the, you know, 80s sounds have been creeping into music for a couple, half, you know, decade and a half before then. But the fact that he did it is showing, like, no, I don't just do just these one or two things. Uh, the song Sex, I'm a Believer, uh, his cover of Ooh Baby Baby, pretty good. Again, a little better to me than the American Woman cover. Still didn't bring a ton new to it, but I love the choice because I love Smokey Robinson. And then his most recent album, Ray's Vibration, from 2018. I like the song Low. I like... I like the vibe on low. I like the groove on low. I like Ray's vibration. I like five more days till summer is fun, you know, and I like that he throws these things in there. Again, there is a reminder throughout for me of Prince in a way, uh, an overall pretty solid album, and I'm looking forward to what he does next. Um, even to the point where 
he, because he has such a groove and a great voice and is so great, you know, musicianship wise, uh, and I just like the stuff that he puts together, can often get away with things uh, lyrically that other people couldn't. When you dive into kind of the love and hippie and psychedelic lyrics, you can get some amazing and great stuff, and you can also get some kind of lazy stuff, like love is love and, and all of that. If the music is great, again, you can get away with it. Uh, I think Flyway is a perfect example. If you read those lyrics on a page, you're like, oh, okay, super. But then you hear the song, and you're like, oh, yeah, truly super. And I think that he's one of those artists. Um, quick side note before I get into influence here on his uh, daughter, Zoe. Uh, I hadn't seen much of her, but then I watched that reboot of High Fidelity and I was immediately sad when they canceled it because that was a great season and a, and a great show. She did a great job. And how they moved that movie forward in time, you know, and... and and music, the music conversation in general, any music geek out there, watch the series High Fidelity. I mean, I read the book. I saw the John Cusack and Jack Black film, and then I saw this series. And right now, you know, whatever, I, I prefer the series then. This is partly because it's more contemporary. It, it's today, you know, it makes me feel more alive than, again, than retreads that don't move the conversation forward. That show was a perfect example of a tribute that moved the conversation forward. Yes, I grew up with him in a way, so he has influenced me tremendously. Uh, I've always loved that mix of hard rock and funk and pop and psychedelia, and I have used it many, many times, but I think most prominently, you listen to my uh, very recent song, No Way Out For Me, from Rex, Symphony for the Weird, and you'll be like, oh yeah, this guy likes Letty Kravitz, you know? I mean, there's other stuff in there, but the the way that I put together the harmonies and the, some of the backup vocals and even kind of the lead vocal itself, and certainly the guitar parts and how driving it is, but how funky it is, you're going to hear... Uh, tremendous uh, Lenny Kravitz influence in that song. And as I've been doing, I'll keep doing, uh, tune in, stay tuned through the end of this, and you'll hear the song uh, right after that. So what do you think of Lenny Kravitz? The, the, which side of the line do you fall on? Do you feel like he's just taking old ideas and kind of putting a new coat of paint on them? Or is he kind of mixing and remixing them and creating something new? Or is both? Is it sometimes both? Because an artist can be both. Are there other artists out there that uh, when you hear their music, you have one of those responses? You either say, wow, I love how it reminds me of uh, that era that I love, but does it in a new way. That happened to me with the uh, block, first Block Party album, reminded me of the early 80s, post-punk, and yet it was so new. Or do you listen to that particular artist and tell me who it is and say, yeah, it's just whatever. It's, they're just doing what somebody else did 20 years ago. I want to know how you interpret these things, how you judge these things, what you hear, what your ears hear, and what you think of any of this, because as always, my objectives here are music conversation and connection. Thank you for your time and for your support. And I will talk to you next week. Oh.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.